If you have your copy of scripture, if you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about things that have kind of crept into Christian thought, Christian practice, Christian theology that really have no place. Uh, they don't come from Jesus. They don't come from scripture. And so every week we're trying to deal with things that we've been told that don't line up with God's word. Now, today what we're going to deal with is something that I think is a little more common than it is a teaching. And I think what that is, is that every one of us, most likely, has been told, you can't do that. I remember when that happened to me specifically, God had spoken to me, God had called me into ministry, and I shared that with my family, and my family immediately said, don't do it, Michael, you should not be in ministry. Now, I want to say my parents weren't bad people, they weren't trying to keep me from doing what God wanted me to do, they just knew my life. And they were afraid that the things that were going on in my life would keep me from being the person that God was calling me to be. And I think for many of us as Christians, we've had people in our life do the same thing. To tell us, hey, hey, you can't do that. God's not calling you to do that. You're not qualified to do that. How, why do you think you can do that? And I want you to hear today that the Lord has something else to say for you. We're going to read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, where Paul's writing to Timothy. I want to give you a little background on Timothy. Timothy understood what it was like for people to tell him that he couldn't do something. Timothy had a, a pretty hard calling. He had been called to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Uh, that's where the book of Ephesians was written to. In fact, in First and Second Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, Timothy as he's the pastor at Ephesus. And I want you to think about a difficult thing that Timothy had to do. Timothy, very early in his life, had met Paul. Paul was kind of his spiritual father. Uh, he helped him to grow in his faith. And then Paul went on his missionary journey and planted a church in a city called Ephesus. The church exploded. There was massive growth and just massive change within the city. And, and Paul went on in his missionary journey. And so when they needed to find a pastor, who do you think Paul thought of? Timothy. So Timothy was called to follow Paul to be the pastor at the church at Ephesus. I don't know if you know how big that is. It'd be very difficult to follow the apostle Paul as a pastor. But it was even worse for Timothy. When he got to the church at Ephesus, there was somebody in the church that was pretty special that had a special connection with Jesus. His name was John, the beloved disciple John, the one who wrote the gospel of John, the one who wrote first, second, and third John, the one who would write the book of Revelation. He hadn't written it yet, but he would write the book of Revelation. Could you imagine how difficult it would be to be Timothy, pastoring a church, talking about Jesus, and there's John sitting on the front row. John walked with him, he talked with him, he saw him, and it's like, well, John, why don't you just tell everybody? I mean, if they had called and told me, hey, Michael, we want you to come and pastor in Ephesus. You're gonna follow Paul and John's gonna be there. And I'd be like, nah, no thanks. He had a, he had a really difficult situation that he was walking into. And on top of that, um, you had a lot of people in the church that were of Jewish background and they were really mad that Timothy was the pastor because he wasn't a Jew. You had a lot of people in the church who came from different backgrounds and belief systems than Timothy and they didn't really like him. And then on top of that, if you can imagine, they were really mad because Timothy was a young guy. Now, here's what's funny. In that culture, Timothy was probably about my age. He was probably in his mid-40s. And they said he was still too young. He was still too wet behind the ears. He was still too green to be doing this. We don't need you as our pastor. And in the midst of all that, Paul writes to him to give him encouragement to be the person that Jesus saved him to be. And I want to give you the same encouragement. Because here's the thing. I really believe that many of us as Christians have not found our calling, have not found our ministry, have not found our service because we've been listening to people in our life who have told us, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. 
And so I want you to hear the words of the Holy Spirit through Paul to Timothy to us today. Because I really believe if you hear these things and you grab onto them and you believe them, it's radically gonna change your walk with Jesus. So 1 Timothy chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech in conduct and love and faith and in purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance and the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. Paul steps into Timothy's life in a time when everybody's telling him, you can't do that. You can't teach that. You can't say that. You shouldn't be here. And I don't know if, how that feels to you, but I've been in that situation where you hear that over and over and over again, and it just makes you question, did you really hear God? Did you really hear God when he said, this is what I want you to do? Did you really hear God when he put you in this place and gave you this mission or service to do? Did, did you really hear him? And so through the Holy Spirit, Paul speaks to Timothy and to us to say, yes. And here's some things that you need to know so that you can be the person who Jesus has saved you to be. Here's what the first thing he says is this. Don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone look down on you. I love this, that he talks about this, that we have to understand that the, the, the thing that, 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 that sometimes keeps us from being who we need to be is that we listen to other people. We're not listening to the right person. It is super easy for the words and actions of other people to take a huge place in our life when we make them the center of who we are. And so one of the things that he's saying here is, listen, don't let them look down on you and you won't let people look down on you if you're looking up to Jesus and you have your eyes centered on the right person and the right place. Don't let people look down on you. Now within there, there's also something that we need to, to hear. And I, I just hate to be the one to tell you this, but it's reality. There are going to be some people that always look down on you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how awesome you are. It doesn't matter how handsome or beautiful or talented or capable you are. There are going to be some people that just don't like you. Isn't that shocking? And I know sometimes we just think, well, that's not possible. Well, have you been on the internet lately? Have you ever been on social media? That's like the Olympics of looking down on people. I mean, it's just like you put anything on there and then two seconds later, it's like, I hate their shirt. I hate their face. I hate the way they talk. I hate this. I hate that. And that can consume your life. And so here's what he says. Listen, there are going to be some people who always look down on you and it doesn't matter. They're gonna pick something about you and say, I don't like this. And here's what he told Timothy, don't let them look down on you because you're young. Now, you can't control your age. Here's the thing, you're always gonna be younger than somebody and you're always gonna be older than somebody else. It's funny, it's just about perspective. My son, he thinks it's hilarious to go around and tell me how old I am all the time. He acts like I'm 112 years old. Dad, are you gonna be able to get out of the chair? Are you okay? Do I need to get you a walker to help you across the room? To him, I'm old. And I'm like, Cameron, have you met other people? Like there are other people in this world who are older than I am. I'm actually young. But here's the thing. They're gonna pick something and just say, because of this, you can't do what God's asking you to do. And here's what Paul says. And here's what you have to hang on to. Do not let anyone look down on you when they say you're too young, you're too old, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too skinny. 
You're not a man. You're not a woman. You're not this. You're not that. Don't let them look down on you. Don't let them keep you from being who Jesus has saved you to be. Now, here's the problem. Not only do we have people looking down on us, but for many of us, we also have ourselves to thank for looking down on us. Do not let your inner moron keep you from being who Jesus has called you to be. You've heard me talk about this. Your inner moron is that person inside of you that tells you that you can't, that you shouldn't, that you're not worthy enough, that you're not good enough. And here's the reality. I would love to stand here and tell you today that I don't struggle with my inner moron anymore, but that would be a lie. Since day one that I surrendered to ministry until today, that's been about 25 years, I've struggled. I have that voice inside of me that says crazy things. They don't like you. They don't listen to you. You make no sense. You, you might as well have just read the phone book today. It was terrible. Not because anybody made me feel that way, but that's what's going on in my head. And you need to recognize that voice in your head is not the voice of Jesus. It is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. You have to stop putting yourself down and telling yourself that you can't when God says that you can. Don't let anyone look down on you. Now, Part of this and what he's trying to tell Timothy, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more later. One of the ways that we don't let people look down on us is we don't live down to people's expectations of us. We live up to the expectations of Jesus. See, here's the thing. I don't care who in your life knows you and, and knows you or you think the well, as well as anybody else does. Maybe they know you deeper than anybody else. Nobody knows you as well as God does. And my parents, they, were, they meant well. They saw the things that were happening in my life. And they were saying things like this, Michael, you need to be careful. I'm afraid that you're going to blow up your ministry. I'm afraid that you're going to go into a church and you're going to make a really horrible mistake and you're going to ruin your life and you're going to ruin their life and you're going to ruin our life because they couldn't see. And it would have been very easy for me because I, I love my parents and I know that my parents love me. It would have been very easy for me to live down to their expectations of me and say, you're right. I shouldn't try instead of living up to the expectations of Jesus. See, here's the thing you've got to grasp and understand. God would not ask you to do what he's asking you to do if he didn't already have everything taken care of. See, God doesn't call you out into something and just say, hey, let's just figure it out. Let's just see how it goes. When God calls you to take a step toward him, he knows every other step that's going to happen. He's planned everything out. It's under his control. And so stop living down to other people's expectations and start living up to the expectations of Jesus. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful in that moment that I just told my parents, I said, listen, I understand and I see, but I'm, I know Jesus is asking and so I need to take a step. And I took a step and he changed me and he'll change you. Don't let people look down on you by living down to their expectations. Live up to the expectations of Jesus for you. And here's the way we do that. Every one of us wants to be unique. Every one of us wants to stand out. And here's the problem. We try it in every other way that doesn't work. I said this in the first service. I know we have some youth and some kids in here. And I wanted to say to them, if you want to be unique and stand out, stop worrying about the clothes that you wear. 
Stop worrying about the shoes that you have or don't have. Stop worrying about the backpack. Stop worrying about all the things that you think are gonna make you stand out. Here's how you stand out in the world. You love Jesus, you follow Jesus, and you be the person that Jesus has saved you to be. That's how you stand out. Oh, and adults, guess what? That's for you too. We like to think that as adults, we don't struggle with those things. We do. We've just taken them into adulthood and pretend that we don't. And so we sit at our kitchen tables and we worry about the address that we live at because it's not nice enough. And we, we look at pictures on Facebook and Instagram and we lust over houses that are bigger than ours and vacations that we can't take. And so we look at these things and think, if I could just do that, I would be unique and stand out. No. If you want to be unique and you want to stand out, love Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be the person that Jesus saved you to be and you will stand out. Stop living down to other people's expectations and start living up to Jesus. Now, I wanna say this because this is important. My parents were right. There were, there were things in my life that was gonna make my ministry very, very difficult. It was gonna make it almost impossible for people to listen to me because I had a lot of sin and a lot of things going on in my life. They were right. And sometimes what happens is we take accountability to be people looking down on us. And I wanna tell you that if somebody steps into your life and begins to ask questions about as you're gonna serve or you're gonna be an example or you're gonna be a witness and they start to say, hey, this stuff in your life doesn't line up with the calling that God has placed on your life, that is not looking down on you, that's accountability. And so here's the thing. We have to look at our life and ask this question. Are there things in my life that would cause people to look down on me or not listen to me or not listen to the gospel? And there were things in my life and the Lord worked on those. But here's the problem. So many times we just pretend like our life is okay and we jump into serving him and somebody comes up and says, hey, wait a second. This doesn't match what you're doing over here. What's going on? And we say, oh, oh, you can't judge me, man. Why are you judging me? That's not judging. That's accountability. Our life needs to match our calling. Don't let people look down on you. But if somebody steps into your life and says, hey, why is this happening? That's accountability. So he says, don't let anybody look down on you. Then he says, you need to be an example of those who believe. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. It's amazing what Paul tells Timothy here, and it's really the greatest advice that we can get. The only way to stop people talking about you, and here's the thing, you're never really going to stop everyone from talking about you all the time. But do you know the greatest way to get people to stop talking about you is to put your life on display. Well, Paul's telling Timothy here, he says, listen, he says, don't let people look down on you. And the way, the best way to not let people look down on you is just to put your life on display. Let them see you. Let them see you for who you are. Let them listen to how you talk. Let them see how you interact with people. Let them see how you live when nobody's watching. And he said, for the most part, that's going to shut people up. 
because they're going to see how you live and they're going to recognize that you are who you say you are and you're doing what God's calling you to do. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, to be an example of those who believe, to put your life on display, it's a little scary, isn't it? You are inviting the world to look at you and say, look at me because I follow Jesus. And if you want to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. Paul said something similar to that in 1 Corinthians. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be an example. Now, before we unpack that, there's something that I needed to say, and I'm going to say it to the kids again before we talk to the adults. So many times in my life as a child and a youth and a college student, I would hear things like this and I would think, that's good. That's really good stuff. That's really good information for when I'm an adult. That's, that's really good when I have a job and I have a family and I'm settled down and I can put that into practice later on when I'm old. Here's a secret that really isn't a secret. Kids, youth, you don't have to wait to start loving Jesus. You don't have to wait to start following Jesus. You can start right now. You don't have to wait. Oh, adults, this is for you too. How many of us have put the calling of God on our life on hold? Well, I'll, I'll get to that when the kids are out of diapers. I'll get to that when kids' ball games stop. I'll get to that when hunting season's over. I'll get to that when football's over. I'll get to that when I'm older. Listen, you do not have to wait to start loving and following Jesus right now. In fact, Jesus would rather you not wait. <laughs> Today is the day. He says, be an example. Put your life on display. You don't have to wait. You can do it right now. And here's the reason why. This is cliche, and I understand it's cliche, but it's a cliche that's true. You might be the only Jesus that some people ever see. Let that sink in for just a minute. He wants you to start right now. He wants you to start right now loving him. He wants you to start right now serving him. He wants you to start right now being the person that he saved you to be because there are people in your life that will never darken the door of this church or any church. There are people in your family that will never listen to what the Bible has to say. They will never come and talk to me, but they see you, they hear you. See, so many of us have let ourselves off the hook and believe because I'm not a pastor, because I'm not a missionary, because I don't have some ministry job, I don't have to be an example. It's super funny. All throughout my career as a pastor, it's just been weird for me sometimes to, to watch that happen. To see people, how they live during the, you know, the regular life, and then they come to church, and they get really mad at me if I ever have a human emotion. Oh, you can't do that. You're a Christian. Well, yeah, so are you. So we have to recognize that the things that we say and the way that we treat people and the way that we live in the world has impact. I was serving in the church, or not serving, I was in the church. And I'd show up on Sunday morning and I'd put on my mask. 
put on the mask of the really good person and I would come and I'd sit and my life was an absolute mess. And the person that I was on Sunday was not the person that I was on Monday through Saturday. The world saw who I really was, the church didn't. And my life had gotten to a point at a certain time in my life where people in my Monday through Saturday life found out that I went to church. And they would say things like this, if that church lets somebody like Michael in, I'm not going. If that's the kind of people that follow Jesus, I want no part of it. See, we like to pretend that we can live in this world and not have any impact. And here's what Jesus says, that's not what I want. I want you to have impact. I want you to be an example. I want your life to show other people what it looks like because some people aren't gonna read the Bible. Some people aren't gonna listen to me. Some people aren't gonna come to church. And so I've sent you into the world to show them who I am. Be an example of those who believe. He's saying, show yourself to be a follower of Jesus. And you might ask, well, how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you're asked. you asked. Paul tells us how to do that. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He says the totality of your life, everything about your life. Now, here's the thing, and it's, this is what happens. So many people outside of Christianity hear that and say, yeah, but you're not perfect. Did he say anywhere in there about being perfect? Listen, Christians struggling to be who they're saved to be is not the same as someone like me pretending something on Sunday and living something else Monday through Saturday. So here's what he says. I wanna put your life on display and the greatest display of God's work in our life comes from our mouth and from our life. Notice that's the first two things. How do I show people I'm a follower of Jesus? What comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your life? My parents came to me and said, Michael, I, I just, I'm really worried that you're gonna go into ministry and it's gonna be a bad deal because your mouth and your life don't line up. And what happened is God began a work in me. And it was so amazing as God began this work in me and my mouth began to change what came out of my mouth and my life began to change. My parents were one of the first people to see it. I mean, that was a huge encouragement. That was a huge, you know, kind of, you know, a, a foundation for my life that the people who knew me the best were seeing the transformation. See, here's the thing. Before God really began this work in my life, I was a liar. I lied about everything. I lied about nothing. I lied about important things. I lied about unimportant things. I lied about lying. I like, my parents could not trust anything that I said. Like if, I, if they said, Michael, what color is the sky? And I said, the sky is blue. They would walk outside to check. And then God began to change. And I began to tell the truth. And it's super frustrating when you're telling the truth and nobody will listen to you. See, I was super afraid that one day I would get in a pulpit and I'd be telling the truth about Jesus and people wouldn't listen to me because they knew I was a liar. God began to change. I said for a long time in my life that sarcasm was my spiritual gift. I loved being sarcastic. I love sarcasm. I love dry humor. And here's the thing. I was so sarcastic. I didn't care about your feelings. 
I loved picking on people and picking at people and pointing out their flaws and making fun. And then when someone got their feelings hurt, I was like, oh, I was just kidding. Why are you being so sensitive? God began to work. God began to work on that and change sarcasm for compassion and encouragement. My life began to change. God began to work the things in my life that were causing problems in my ministry, began to work those out. God wants you to be an example. He wants your life to impact people. He wants you to display your life to the world so they can see Jesus in you. And one of the greatest ways to do that is for them to see God's transformation in you. Oh, and here's, here's the problem. To display the transformation, people have to know that transformation was needed. So many of us as Christians pretend to be perfect. Pretend that we have no problems. Pretend that we have no struggles. And so here's the problem. We are robbing God of his glory by not allowing people to see the transformation from death to life that he has in our life. One of the greatest transformations in my life. You've heard me talk about this a million times, but it needs to be celebrated again. One of the things that my parents were really concerned about, and they had every right to be concerned about, I was enslaved to pornography when God called me to ministry. Pornography had a hold on me. And I was so afraid that I was never going to break free. In fact, when God called me into ministry, that was one of the biggest things that I was just like, God, I don't think you know what you're doing. And I struggled. I struggled all throughout college. I struggled all throughout seminary. I struggled for years working in churches and I was still struggling with this thing. But here's the thing, God delivered me from that. God transformed my life and the church got to see it. People in my life got to see it. God put my life on display. Was that easy or comfortable? No, it wasn't. But I'm thankful for it. Greatest display of God's work is in what we say and how we live. But then he also talks about in our purity. He talks about love, faith, and purity. And I want to say that the church has really had a hard time with purity. I grew up in the true love waits culture. Many of you know what that is. Many of you went through that. Um, it was a terrible thing for us to do. Basically, here's the message that we had. Sex is bad. Everything's bad. Say no to everything. And if you don't say no, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get broken and you're going to be damaged and you're going to be impure and nobody's going to want you. And so every year we would get together and we'd have these ceremonies where we would have like basis, like marriage ceremonies. And we'd put on purity rings and tell everybody we're not going to have sex and we're going to stay away from it. And we're going to, we're going to stay pure. And here's the reality between 85 and 95% of people who signed those cards and put those rings on did not stay pure. And so here's what we've told the church that purity is saying no. That's not purity. Purity is saying yes to Jesus. Purity is saying yes to Jesus and accepting the more that Jesus has, falling in love with him and wanting more from him. That's what purity is. And so here's the thing. We have this damaged idea in our head that because we broke something in the past, we're still impure and we can't be used. It just seems to be the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is this. You are impure and Christ makes you pure. And you are pure forever. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. Christ makes you new. Purity is saying yes to Jesus. 
Listen, I tried saying no. I saw pornography at 10 years old and it radically changed my life. I struggled with it from 10 years old to 28 years old. I struggled for 18 years to say no. It didn't work. You know what did work? When I was 28 years old, I had a pastor who loved me and shared stuff with this, like this to me. And all of a sudden, I fell in love with Jesus. And as I fell in love with Jesus and I asked him to give me more in my life, the more that he gave me was greater and better than the things that I was saying no to. And the more and the better that he gave me allowed me to say, I don't want that and I don't need that. Not because I had willpower and I said no, but because I said yes. Purity is faithful, loving obedience to God and recognizing when we fall and we fail that there is forgiveness and cleansing. You never have to live with the silly idea that you're impure ever again because that's not Jesus. Don't let anyone look down on you. Be an example. Really be an example. Go out in this world. That's what God wants you to do. Put your life on display and you say, well, how, how can I do that? He says, give your full attention to scripture. Verse 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Be anchored in scripture. Be anchored in what Jesus says. Now here's the problem with us. Most of us think that being anchored in the word is stuffing our head full of facts. And that was my problem too. I love facts. I love useless information. I love just having all this stuff. And so here's the thing. For a lot of time, I would come on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and I would sit in classes and I would sit in sermons and I would sit in Bible studies and I would just stuff facts and stuff facts and stuff facts and stuff facts. But the problem was the facts weren't changing anything. I grew up in a program called Bible Drill. I started when I was in kindergarten. I went through fifth grade. I can quote verses to you to this day that I learned back then. I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses by memory. I can quote all the books of the Bible to you in order from Genesis to Revelation. And here's the reality. Had God never changed my heart, I would have blown hell wide open with all the information in my head and no transformation in my heart. Give attention to the word. Listen to what Jesus has to say and don't stuff it in your head. Let it get to your heart and change who you are from the inside out. That's what this is about. I say this a lot because it's become something I have to ask myself. You know, you have all of Jesus that you want. You don't necessarily have all of Jesus that you need. Think about that for a second. You have all of Jesus that you want, not all of Jesus that he wants. Is it because he's kept something back? No, it's because you're not asking. Here's a question. Does the Bible ever challenge you? Does the Bible ever disagree with your way of life? Does the Bible ever cut to you to the point where you recognize that I think I need to change? It should. That's what ex exhortation means. Exhorting us to follow what he says, exhorting us to be the people that he saved us, be exhorting us for our life to look like what he says. Here's the thing. If your reading of the Bible never challenges you, you're not reading the Bible right. 
And I said this Wednesday night and it bears repeating. If your version of God never disagrees with you, it's not the God of the Bible. Listen, the Bible tells us that its job is to cut to the heart and the soul, to expose everything that we are, to lay us bare before God, our thoughts, our intents, and our actions. And are you really gonna tell yourself and tell God that you're perfect? Somebody tried that before. You remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he's like, done it, done all of them. Perfect. Jesus says, really? Everyone, name them, I've done it. So Jesus added a commandment and said, well, take all you have, go sell it and come follow me. And he walked away. He walked away very sad because he couldn't do it. Are you really gonna sit here and pretend that the Bible agrees with you in every aspect of your life? Are you really gonna sit here and tell God that God doesn't understand who you are? Pay attention. He says, give attention to the public reading, to the public exhortation, to the public teaching of scripture. Here's what he's telling Timothy, listen. Take what you know and share it. Do you feel compelled to share the wonderful truth that Jesus shows you in his word with somebody else? I hope you understand that's what I do on Sunday morning. I feel compelled to share this with you because I'm excited about what Jesus has to say. It's amazing. It's like Jesus dropped a lump of gold in my lap and I want to share it with you. Is that how you feel? Is that how you feel when you hear the words of Christ? Do you just feel compelled to go share it with somebody? I just got to tell you. Are you compelled to go to somebody and just say, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus wants to forgive you of your sin and free you from all the mess that you're in. Jesus wants to give you a new, abundant, eternal, everlasting life. Jesus wants you to know that he hears your prayers and he'll answer your prayers and he wants to use you to make an impact in the world. And, and Jesus wants you to know that he's prepared a home for you in heaven with him and you get to be with him one day forever. Do you feel compelled? He says, do not neglect the spiritual gift that you've been given. Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance by the laying on hands by the presbytery. You know, it's funny. You may think that's weird that the Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul to Timothy to us would tell Timothy, a pastor, don't neglect your spiritual gift. That's weird, isn't it? Well, if you've spent any time trying to minister, you recognize that's not weird. Timothy had people in his ear all the time telling him where he didn't measure up. You're not Paul. You're definitely not John. Too young. You're too Greek. You're too this. You're too that. I just don't like the way that you do things. I don't like the way that you say things. And here's the reality, what happens. When we listen to that enough, 
It makes us question the voice of God in our life. Was I really called? Is he really going to use me? (laughs) This has happened at times in my life. There's been several times in my ministry where I've just gotten so low that I thought, I'm going to quit. God isn't using me. God hasn't called me. There was a time where someone came into my life. They were a church member, but they came to me and and said this, and I, I really wanted to quit. They said, you know, they summoned me to them. They wanted to talk to me. They summoned me to their office, and we began to talk, and they said, you know, I've listened to you preach for the last five years, and I've got nothing out of it. And I come on Sunday mornings and sit in my seat and pray for the poor souls who listen to you to get something out of what you bring. That's a kick, man. You need to be reminded that no matter what anybody has said to you, no matter what anybody has told you, God has given you spiritual gifts and you don't need to neglect them. Here's truth that you need to hear and live by. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual gifts. It's it's the way it works. That's what happens with the new birth. That's what happens with the new life. This new life is implanted inside of you called the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden out of that is spiritual gifts. But again, here's the problem. We've been told so often what spiritual gifts are and we get wrapped up and we get just bum-fuzzled at what spiritual gifts really are. And we think spiritual gifts are power. We think they're, they're, they're position. We think they're authority. No, it's none of that. You want a really simple definition of what spiritual gifts are? Let me give it to you. It's really this. Spiritual gifts are God using you to communicate his love, his grace, and his mercy to someone else. In effect, it is God saying, I love you to somebody else and using you to do it. You've been given spiritual gifts. It's so funny in my life that I've seen God work in so mighty ways in such small ways that spiritual gifts show up at the right time in the right way at the right place and somebody comes along and says, you know what? God put you on my heart. Here's some cookies. God put you on my heart. Here's a hug. God put you on my heart. Here's a card. Here's a call. Here's, hey, I know you're struggling. Let me step into your life and help you with that. And yet here's what we do. Because we don't have a platform, because we don't have a position, because we don't have authority, we've been told we don't have spiritual gifts. That is ridiculous. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have spiritual gifts. And what God wants you to do is to use them. And here's how God wants you to use them. God wants to give his love to you to give to somebody else. So many of us don't exercise spiritual gifts because we believe that we need more of the Holy Spirit. I need to be baptized again. I need to be filled again. I need this or that again. And here's the reality. You don't need any more of the Holy Spirit because you got all of him when you got him. You are filled with the Holy Spirit the moment that you come to faith in Jesus. The problem is not getting more of him. The problem is giving more of yourself to him. You know what's funny? For so many people, the reason they don't know what their spiritual gift is, you kind of struggle the same thing that I did. 
For so long in my life, I would just ask, what's my spiritual gift? And I took the tests and I went to conferences and I did all that stuff and I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, God, I don't get it. And here's the thing. It took me a long time to get them. This is a really deep spiritual truth. Are you ready? You probably need to write this down. Here's how you figure out your spiritual gift. You ask God. I had never stopped and asked God. I never stopped and said, what do you want me to do? Let me, let me tell you how I ended up here. God moved in my life when I was 18 years old and I said yes to him and he gave me new life in Christ. He forgave me of my sins. Two weeks later, my pastor comes to me and says, hey, we need someone to teach 10th grade boys Sunday school class. Would you like to do it? And I was like, do what? So I asked God, should I do it? God said, yes. And I said, yes. And that's how it worked. I just began to, as opportunities came into my life, I just began to ask God, God, is this what you want me to do? And more often than not, he said, yes. And so I did too. And so here it is. If you're trying to find your spiritual gift, let's make it super easy. Just ask God. God, what would you like me to do? He ends with this. Take great pains with these things. Verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. I'm glad he put this in here. I'm glad he said that we need to take pains and we need to be absorbed because here's the reality. For many of us, we want the Christian life to be easy. We want it to be easy. We want to get everything. We don't have to work for anything. We just want it all to be there and we don't have to try. And here's what Paul tells Timothy to tell us. Take pain. It takes work. It takes work. If you want to grow, it takes work. But here's the good news. Any effort that you put in is matched a hundredfold by the Holy Spirit working in your life. But you got to work. It's not going to be easy. You know, I told you last Sunday that I suffer from a disease called perfectionism. That disease has kept me from having hobbies. Because if I can't be perfect at something the first time out, I don't want to do it. It's been really difficult in my Christian life. Because I don't know if you know this. I'm not perfect. Did you know that? That was a, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. I'm not perfect. And it's, I'm not going to be perfectly kind. I'm not going to be perfectly compassionate. I'm not going to be perfectly in those things. But here's the thing. It's not about being perfect. It's about taking a step. It takes work. He says to be absorbed. But I love this promise. I want you to hear this promise. Take pain. Be absorbed so that, so that your progress will be evident to all. Do you get the promise? If you put forth effort, you're going to grow. If you put forth effort, you're going to mature. If you put forth effort, here's the awesome thing. People in your life will see it. Now, here's the great thing. We don't do that so that we get the credit for our progress. We do that so that Matthew 5, 16 is true. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your father, which is in heaven. Saw a childhood friend a couple of years after God began to work in my life. After I had said yes to being in ministry and started to grow, I was having lunch with them and 
they just, I could tell something was wrong. And they just looked at me and then they said, what's wrong with you? I was like, well, lots of things, but what, what are you talking about? I mean, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you're not the person that I used to know. Like everything in your life has changed. You're not who I, who I used to know. And I'm like, you're right. And they said, what happened to you? I was like, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what happened. Jesus happened to me and he changed me and he transformed me. And he wants to do that for you. He says to pay close attention to yourself. It's great advice. If you pay close attention to yourself, you stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and focus on yourself. Pay close attention to yourself. You're not as likely to drift away from these things. But here's some questions I want you to ponder as we close. Are you living in a way that someone could look down on you? Is there something going on in your life that someone could look and say, hey, that doesn't line up. That doesn't match what Jesus wants in your life. That's keeping people from hearing the gospel. Is there something? Now, we've already talked about this, but I want, to hear, I want you to hear me say this. This isn't about guilting you. This isn't about humiliating you. This isn't about condemning you. Here's what this is. If there's something in your life, guess what? It doesn't have to be there anymore. What this is about is confronting you with the truth that, look, if there's things that are keeping you from being the person that Jesus saved you to be and doing the things that Jesus has called you to do, then today confess and repent and be forgiven and made new. It can happen. Are you an example of someone who believes in Jesus and follows Jesus? Now, I know you might say, well, that's not what I want. I'm not a minister. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a missionary. I remember when I was a kid, Charles Barkley made the famous quote, I'm not a role model. He was being interviewed by uh, someone and they asked him, hey, you know, your attitude on the court and your attitude off the court, the way you treat people and the way you say things, do you think that that's gonna have an impact on the kids that look up to you? And he's like, I don't care. I'm not a role model. Did that keep him from being a role model? Did that keep kids from being on the court with number 34 and then acting just like Charles Barkley? No. And so here's what I wanna tell you. I don't care how many times you tell yourself and other people that you're not a role model of what it looks like to follow Jesus, people are watching you. Are you giving your full attention to God's word? Only way to answer that question is what you do with what you hear today. <laughs> are you using your spiritual gifts that you've been given by God? If not, here's some great news. You can today. You can come see me after service and we have hundreds of places in the church that you can fill in and jump in and be a part of and use your spiritual gifts. Are you seeing progress in your relationship to God? Listen, this isn't about taking all these things and doing all these things today. It's about taking a step. God wants you to take a step in your relationship to him. Wherever you are right now, he wants you to take one step closer to him. And guess what? He wants you to take another one and another one and another one. Here's a step that you can take. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Why don't you take that step and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you to save me and forgive me and let me be your child. Maybe you need to take the step of joining the church and saying, this is my family. This is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug in and I'm gonna be who God saved me to be in this family. Maybe your step is to come and, and let go of all the junk in your life and just say, today's it, I'm putting it all down. There may be a million other steps, but I know this. 
every one of us needs to take a step to Jesus today. Will you do it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would help us to hear you call and that we would respond and we would find grace and mercy and peace from you and forgiveness and healing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.